very good evening and welcome to another edition of the Liam Davis Show here on Shoreditch Radio in London. I hope you've all had um, a really nice day. I hope you've all had an opportunity to enjoy what is beautiful weather in London. It feels so long uh, since we last saw the sunshine in London that uh, uh, it's been a pleasant surprise. So I hope you've all been able to enjoy some sunshine today and hopefully um, for the rest of this week as the weather forecast is week. Uh, busy show tonight, um, real mixed bag, we're going to be talking education later on in the programme. Um, I'll be joined by Meryl Chrysostomou, uh, we'll be talking about uh, teaching, we're talking about education, we're going to be talking a little bit about how it's been for schools, obviously with the return over the last few months, and particularly around GCSE exams and A-level exams. Um, she's head of year at a school in London, so we'll be talking to her Um, a little bit later on um, in the programme. But my first guest tonight, we're going to be talking football uh, for the next 20-25 minutes or so. Um, Always a pleasure um, to welcome him on to the the programme. It's been very busy of course with the Champions League final, um, which of course was on Saturday and the end of the Premier League season and of course a bumper summer this summer because of course the European Championships take place um, with the finals, of course, held here in London at Wembley. Um, so delighted always to say to speak to him, uh, Martin Tyler. Martin, good afternoon to you. Hi, Liam, and hi to all your listeners as well. Uh, you've been enjoying a bit of the sunshine today, Martin? Well, only in waiting around to Gareth Southgate to announce his English work, which he's just done. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that was um, the main focus of my day today. I'm, I'm working to Sky tomorrow at Middlesbrough and uh, indeed I'm there again on Sunday for these warm-up games and then I'm going to do a bit of a stint, a stint for um, UEFA uh, on the tournament itself. So I've uh, had a, about 10 days off since the end of the Premier League season, so <laughs> raring to go. But, yeah, I did. Um, you know me, I like a bit of sun. And I, <laughs> 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 Absolutely. I mean, I suppose that's, uh, just thinking about that, Martin, I suppose that's probably a good place to start, um, is the England, the announcement of the of the England squad. Um, was there any surprises there for you? I mean, there was a lot of speculation yesterday that Trent Alexander-Arnold wouldn't be part of the, of, of the squad, simply because, you know, the amount of right-backs maybe that are in form at the moment. I mean, we'll talk about the Champions League final in the moment and, and, and Rhys James. I mean, it's great that it's a position that we've got obviously a lot of strength in, but any surprises or, or anything about the squad, Martin, that, that, that surprises you? No, we've just got the bare uh, selection at the moment. Gareth Southgate is going to do a press conference shortly where he might um, put a bit of flesh on the bones, really. I mean, no one said too much about what Harry Maguire's chances are actually playing in the opening game. Mm. Um, I think it's very sensible. I feel a bit sorry for those who are 
Yeah. 
tournament because when I look at it like you say it really is going to be after everything that's gone on in the last 18 months with Covid and 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 obviously it has been a very long season I mean you know when I think about the Premier League for example which didn't start until mid-September I think most of the teams in the Premier League have played Saturday midweek um, those involved in... Actually, yeah, I know what you mean but it's been a short season It has, yes, yeah It's been intense It's been intense, yes Yeah. Uh, it's been it's been a, a schedule born of the time that we've had with the 
That's obviously meant, I think, for you, a huge amount more games, probably almost two, probably even sometimes three games sort of over a weekend period that probably stretch from Friday to, to sort of Monday or, or Tuesday. As you say, it's been a, a massive logistical challenge, but, I mean, it must have been wonderful for you when that, that game, the games when uh, um, the crowd were allowed... Um, back into the into the stadium. I mean, that must have been um, wonderful. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know whether the first game that you did. I think it might have been Ch- Chelsea Leicester, possibly, or might have been there might have been a game for you before that. But when the crowd came back, it must have been it must have been wonderful. Yeah, I did one of those. Was it Chelsea Leeds that had some fans? Yes. Yeah. It's also it's re- 
I mean, I think you're right, Martin. I think it's, it's everything has sort of become regalvanised in. I mean, like you say, if there's some positives to take from COVID, and now obviously there hasn't been many, but you're absolutely right. Having fans back in the stadium, but also we saw um, the, the sort of fans' reaction, Martin, to the European Super League, and 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 sort of how every club, sort of around, you know, the, the whole of the country, and obviously some of your fellow colleagues on Sky, very much sort of leading it as well. And everybody sort of came together and said, you know what, this is, this, this is at last, the fans are standing saying, you know what, this is what it's all about. It's about the fans, it's about the people who've made the game, if you like. And I'm not saying the, the players and the clubs, of course they're important, but as has been proved, without fans in the stadium, it's a very different experience. And if you haven't got fans behind a European Super League, um, it's not it's not going to get up off the ground and I, and I think what's as you say that's one real positive that's come from it is everybody's come together in what's been as you said right at the top of the interview 18 months of of a very difficult period in our history Super League contested um, the final on, on Saturday, Chelsea against Manchester City. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you know, you commentated, I think, on, 
on uh, City's last game, Aguero. I, I mean, that must have been a lovely moment for you uh, up at the Etihad on that. I mean, it was pouring down with rain, which, <laughs> which is stark contrast to the weather today. Um, but, I mean, that was obviously a lovely moment, but it, it didn't quite finish for him on, I guess, the moment. I mean, in the Premier League sense it did, but I guess the ultimate one which he wanted to win, which was the Champions League. I mean, he could still go on and win it with Barcelona, of course, but, I mean, um, it wasn't quite the way. But like with some things, Martin, there isn't always a, a happy ending, but he's had a fantastic career at Manchester City, which I, I know you've, you know, you've called a lot of the big games involved in that. But um, the final on Saturday, Martin, what was your take on, on the game? Well, just on Aguero, so... <laughs> famous goal in Northern talks about it it was a lovely sometimes I wasn't too sure about doing it um, Sky and Manchester said he wanted me to do it knowing that he was going to be leaving the country yeah. uh, and uh, I said well if he'll do it I'll do it it was a bit like that and, but we got on really well and it was a I suppose a special moment that he, he, <laughs> on my last Premier League half of the season he, uh, he actually dominated it and became the story of the day semi-final at Wembley, the league match-up at the Etihad, and then certainly on Saturday, I, I, I didn't think they'd come out and win. And, and, and to be honest, Martin, I have to say, when I say win, barring maybe the first 45 minutes at the Etihad, um, where they could have been 2-0 down at half-time if Aguero scores that penalty, um, to be honest, I have to say, in all three games, and I speak obviously as unbiasedly as I can, um, I have to say, I think they, they, they actually deserve to win all three, given the performances they put in. I mean, on, on Saturday particularly, um, I mean, I think City had one shot on target. Now, that's, that's striking for a team that's, you know, put a lot of teams to the sword um, this season and, and, and pretty much swept the Premier League ahead of them. Um, I, I thought... And as you said, for Tuchel, I mean, the defensive performance, which I think is probably the difference between him and, and Frank Lampard. Um, and I think Frank certainly deserves a lot of credit for the job that he did in laying a lot of the foundations. But I think one thing that Tuchel has done is that Christensen, Rudiger, 
Um, and I think that entire back five, if you want to call it that, maybe even including the goalkeeper, he certainly made them a lot harder, harder to beat, which perhaps... And I think about that game at the Stamford Bridge that you commentated on back in, I think it was the beginning of January, where City could, City could have scored 10 that day, to be honest with you. And, and I think that's probably the big difference. Yes, I, I like you. I have a lot of sympathy for Frank Lampard, who, who got Chelsea to a certain level and um, obviously played a big part in the continued selection and development of the younger players, and most of whom have kicked on, but not all of whom have kicked on under Thomas Tuchel. Tommy Abraham and Callum Hudson-Odoi probably will feel that they haven't quite been given the opportunities that they might have got under mm. Frank, but um, those who come in have, have done extraordinarily well. And there is a hardness about... I mean, that was, that was a gritty win. I mean, was, there was plenty of class and quality in Chelsea's performance, but the desire, the blocking, the tackling, you know, the, the ugly side of the game in a nice, in a complimentary way, you know, where if you don't, if you come up short, the tackle by, I know Rudiger's had a little bit of stick for the uh, De Bruyne incident, but the block he made on Foden mm. breaking through in the first half was just extraordinary. And, uh, you know, he, he's one player who's obviously there's the German connection there. Maybe that's helped him a little bit. And the German scored the winning goal for a German country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, some things work. That, the, the, the personal relationships obviously vary whoever's in charge. And you, you can talk about the English players benefiting under an English coach, but uh, Tuchel has, I, I think, apart from Abraham and Hudson and and even Callum's had a few more games. I think he's kept the plates spinning, you know, and mm. kept everybody involved. And, that, and you saw that in the celebrations at the end. Mm. They, they were all in it to really together. And of course, it's a very special moment for the club. And for still the only London club to win this competition. And, yeah. and that's a, a, an amazing thing when you think about uh, what there is in the capital in terms of potential candidates for it. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a brilliant game. Maybe Guardiola will always have to live as he did last year when they failed with a team selection um, in, uh, before the final. This time he got to the final and, and it does look as though he got the team wrong. I mean, we'll never know, will we? They no. 3-0 if Rodrigo for Dino. We never know. And second guessing is one of the things I try never to do. <laughs> it's not fair. No, absolutely. Um, but, but both clubs having been if you like, in, um, on the naughty step as far as suddenly <laughs> <laughs> it came out um, as the good guys because it was it was a gripping watch and I watched most of my football with a microphone in my hand uh, sitting in, in grounds and I'm very, very fortunate to do that. I sat on my sofa with my partner and watched and she absolutely, we watched it right to the very end until it went off the air, you know, and watched all the celebration, it was, it was that good. Absolutely, absolutely right, Martin. Um, two last quick things before I let you go. Um, obviously, there was another game on Saturday, um, and as somebody who's, you know, you, you commentated on all 28 years of the of the Premier League, um, and I dare say next season you'll be looking forward to a visit to to Brentford, which will mean another London derby um, amongst all the London derbies that go on. But what well, I mean, what a thrill for Brentford, Martin. I mean, I think it, I was it's at 19. 46, 1947, something like that. I think they were last yeah, in the top division. Yeah, um, when they got relegated, I was one. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I can honestly say I haven't really 
seen them. <laughs> Associate Brentford with Griffin Park, which of course doesn't think has gone. Well, but you, know, you do that, Liam, because there's always a pub in every. True, Martin. I, I'll be honest and say that. Um, <laughs> um, I, I do remember watching Chelsea play there actually in a cup tie about ten years ago, actually, and, and it went to a replay. So. I think, as you say, it's good for them, it's good for London football, certainly, and I think it'll be good for the Premier League, as you say, to have uh, a new team in there for, for, for the first time um, for Brentford. Um, just before I let you go, I obviously can't let you go without um, speaking about Woking. I mean, you mentioned um, earlier on uh, when you were speaking about going to games, I mean, it's been one of the huge frustrations on a personal level for me uh, this season because, obviously, the opportunity to go to games has been you know, exceptionally limited. Um, but, I mean, just looking ahead to next season, Martin, as far as Woking are concerned, I mean, uh, we've obviously got the playoffs. You know, congratulations very much to Sutton um, on winning the, the National League. Be interesting to see which team joins them um, through the playoffs. Yeah, a lot of competition. A lot of competition, uh, yeah. Yeah.
now debt-free going into a new season, and not too many clubs can say that. Mm. But hopefully there will be investment, there's a new ownership coming in, and, and hopefully um, we'll be able to be more competitive in a, in a league where there will be leagues and teams playing like that working in the National League, which is the lowest level of football that has been played to the end of the season. Mm. Um, it's been a privilege to be part of that as well, even in, in the defeat. I mean, we got a draw at Stockport the Saturday before last. Yeah. It was like, hey, we're in the pools. I We'll probably just say winning the lottery, Martin, probably, yeah. yeah. It's winning the lottery, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, and, and one of the young players who wouldn't have got nowhere near the first team have had some opportunities and taken that opportunity. So, it's been, um, you know, that's all been part of the mix. But again, we were allowed to travel, we were allowed to um, stay in hotels, we were allowed to, uh, you know, uh, get in buses and go up and down the, uh, the motorways when we were passing signs saying, please, Absolutely um, echo those words, and time is precious, as you say, and we don't get that time back again. Um, so it's, it's it's you know really important words, and as you say, for Woking, um, you know, obviously a huge opportunity for the reset button in terms of going again next season, and knowing the manager as I know him well, um, he'll be um, very much up for that 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 restart and 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 going again. Uh, next year, and I know the club will remain as as competitive as ever. And you're absolutely right. We we have to love and enjoy all the opportunities as they come along, Martin. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You've, you know, everybody's sharpened their sense of values. I think over the last 18 months, and I just hope that we are talking at a point where we don't look back on and say, "Oh, that was a little bit of a, a gap before we had to dig in again." Um, obviously. We'll with the vaccinations that people will make up their own minds about it I've had both jabs and, and I've had no reaction to either of them that's just a personal statement I'm not telling anybody that they should do it or they have a personal choice I'm very glad that the government has said that they um, they, they won't have, make people have to have vaccination passports because I think that's a loss of um, liberty and lots of democratic rights for that so uh, I think that um, the majority Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we can't identify, we can't spot him, we can't see the badness. You know, it just hits us. And, and, and my sympathy to it, uh, I'm sure there will be people listening who, who've had really tough times through, through this COVID. And um, we've, we've got to fight on and um, keep going and we will win. We will win. Martin, listen as ever, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Have a, gr- have a, have a lovely summer. I'm sure we'll talk again soon, but uh, uh, thanks very much indeed for coming on the show. Thanks, Martin. Thanks very much indeed. And that was Martin Tyler from uh, Sky Sports joining me here on the Liam Davis Show here on Shoreditch Radio. And as ever, it's always a pleasure to talk to Martin um, whenever he comes to join us on the programme. So my next guest, uh, we're going to be talking education now for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. Um, This person has had a a really interesting career in teaching because some of you may well remember, and I, I actually saw the documentary on YouTube very recently. Um, some of you might remember it, those of you interested in education will remember it. It was called Tough Young Teachers, and it was on the BBC. Um, I think it was on BBC Three, and I think it's actually been repeated on BBC One and BBC iFlower since then. Um, but it's certainly on YouTube, and I would absolutely recommend anybody um, having a look at that documentary, Any, particularly anybody who works in education, who's interested in education, I would absolutely um, watch that documentary because this person was an integral part of um, that documentary. And I'm delighted to welcome her here onto the Liam Davis Show here on Shoreditch Radio, uh, Meryl Chrysostomo. Meryl, welcome. Thank you for having me on the show, Liam. No, it's lovely to have you on the show. So, let's start right at the beginning. I think that's a good place to start. Always a good place. Was, I mean, you touch on this in Tough Young Teachers, but for somebody who's never watched the programme, was teaching something that you always was going to go into, or, or when you were growing up, did another career seem the more likely that you were going to go and do something else? I think if I have to be honest with myself, teaching was something I always wanted to go into. I mean, I'm sure when I was 10, my parents would tell you I wanted to be a Formula One mechanic. <laughs> um, and I started a little sprint where I wanted to be a pilot at one point. But for as long as I can remember, I was always that kid in school who, when they'd finished their work, wanted to help the person next to you and help the teacher. So, uh, yes, I think teaching was a very likely career for me. Mm. And, it kind of just ended up being something that I ended up going into just in, I took a gap year before uni, I ended up doing a degree which was very lent into teaching English, it was mm. in the education department at King's College London, mm-hmm. in my gap year I ended up working in a te- uh, teaching centre, so everything kind of lined up. The stars all came together almost. Sure did. We'll talk about what you do at the moment, because obviously we'll, t- we'll talk about where your career is at at the moment in a bit, but let's talk about then that route, because, I mean, so how did the, the route into Teach First become about? Was that something that, uh, you know, because there's lots of, obviously, those people who might know about education, there's lots of different routes yeah. into teaching. You can go via PGTE, you can go via, um, well, in those days it was called GTP, but yes. these days it's called Schools Direct, yes. which again, you have to be working in a school to get on the Schools Direct programme. So it's all the external programmes at the moment are generally Teach First or a PGCE. So I guess um, PGCE maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, it might be that just the opportunity to do Teach First came along and you took it. 
Well, I kind of, in my final year at uni, knew that I wanted to go into teaching and knew it was something I wanted to do. And I actually did apply uh, for a PGCE. Mm. Um, I applied uh, to a couple of places in London and to Cambridge, and I had an interview at Cambridge and didn't get an offer. And I thought, okay, so maybe this isn't, I'll take a year out and apply again. It kind of, um, I applied quite late, I remember that year. I ended up doing um, some teaching stints abroad. I worked in Ghana for three months teaching out there. I ended up working in Peru. And every time I was thinking about, okay, I'll apply next year, I'll apply next year, um, I ended up doing Teach First. And I was at a point when I started teaching when I was 24. Mm. So I had a little bit of time away from university and thought, I don't know if I want to do another year in university. And it was quite keen to start in my career. Mm. Teach First presented an opportunity where I could learn on the job and I'd be get it was a salaried route, which you know, really attractive for a lot of um, young people in their twenties, um, and yeah, and I applied and I, I got through, and yeah, it seemed like it was the right route for me. Mm. Where did the sort of the documentary come in then? Was it that you started with Teach First, and then I know because there was a number of you. Was it that a group of you, some of maybe even didn't make it to camera? were approached and said, would you like to be part of the this documentary that we're doing? It's going to be a BBC documentary, Tough uh, Young Teachers. Would you like to take part? Was it, is that sort of how it sort of came about? It's, it pretty much came by in a whirlwind. We For Teach First, you do your summer training. It's like four weeks of intensive training, it's six weeks of intensive training sort of in like up north somewhere, I believe. You have yeah, to sort of go uh, York or somewhere, like, or Leeds, somewhere like it's that. It's Leeds now. It was, uh, I think, Warwick University right. back in my day. <laughs> and, you know, we did three weeks in London as well. And... So it was like the final few weeks and um, a couple of us were approached mm. and they said that they were keen to do a documentary about um, teaching and a good way in would be looking at people who are just joining a school um, and it just so happened like that year in 2012 there were a thousand people doing Teach First, 500 of whom were in London mm. and they, they wanted to base it in London. And of those 500 people there were a couple of schools that Teach First had really good links with that seemed quite keen to progress and I just happened to be one of those people who was in those schools mm. and then I think when they kind of looked at the schools who were interested there happened to be three girls and three guys and there's a nice uh, diverse mix amongst us in terms of um, you know race sexuality so it seemed like a good bunch of people to follow mm. and uh, from, sort of from that I mean when you first started I mean, teaching's a hard enough job anyway. <laughs> um, but when you first started and you were, the camera is on you, and I mean, it must have been really daunting. Because I know I would have been, if that had been me when I first started in education, I mean, that must have been really, really tough. It was definitely tough. I think um, I remember like my first few weeks of teaching and trying to get my head around my lesson plan and you know, meeting the children for the first time, everything was so nerve-wracking. Um, and then in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, right, we're also doing this documentary. Mm. And it definitely felt like the first few weeks felt strange. But before you knew it, you genuinely forgot there was this big camera in your classroom. <laughs> um, and there's just so many decisions you make as a teacher in the space of one lesson that you genuinely just forget it's there. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, right, yeah, there's a camera. Just waiting to catch my thoughts on that lesson. 
Um, so the the filming process itself was strangely normal in the sense that you, you just forgot that you were doing it. And then for us, we knew no better. I mean, it's very different like now when you're teaching, you know, you might have someone come in to observe you and they might bring in an iPad and, you know, you'll discuss the lesson afterwards. Then you suddenly feel mm. uh, tense, oh my gosh, someone's going to film my lesson. But we, we, the six of us, we genuinely knew no difference. So it was a, a strange experience, mm. um, for sure. You were teaching at the Harefield Academy, yeah, which, is in, which is in West London. Um, what, I suppose this is a difficult question, but what would you say was the, the, the best and worst experience of, of that time? I think, um, so the Harefield Academy is in West London, and it was about half an hour's drive from where I grew up in Wembley. Mm. Um, and it was, you know, the best of that time was definitely the staff who just really made me feel so welcome. Mm. Um, it definitely was a strange experience for them, um, I'm sure, like trying to strike a conversation with someone in the staff room and thinking, is there a camera on you? <laughs> time. Um, but there was such a lovely supportive network. Mm. And I think um, if anyone has seen the documentary, will remember that I was paired with um, a young guy called Nick, um, who became like for that year like my best friend in the world. Yeah, yeah, I um, remember. And I remember Nick leaves teaching at the end of that year, doesn't he? He does the year and then he does. I think he was off to get married somewhere, yeah, wasn't he? You know, but he's married now and he's got three great kids, and you know it was the right decision for him, um, for sure, for for him and for his family. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the support that you got was just incredible. I think you know when you're starting off in your career like the support that you need from the people you work with from your friends from your family who's providing that hot meal for you at the end of the day yeah um it's such an intense period of time that I will, i'll never forget like just how grateful i was to have those people in my life mm. uh, for sure and and looking back as well i mean uh, those early experiences i think the first couple of shows sort of major on you quite a bit because I think the first yeah. program I mean there obviously were some some challenges it was oh, it sure. was it was it was really tough but by the time you reach the end of that academic year you really overcome those uh, I mean some of the behavior that, that you know yeah. it was, was tough and, and I think anybody watching it said well actually you know what I've experienced that I've seen that but I think what makes it even harder as well is obviously uh, and you know, Teach First does come in for some criticism for, um, you know, when I think about you have to do essays along the yeah, way, yeah. You're, I think you're working towards the masters and, and other stuff, so that creates additional pressure. I also actually just learning how to teach and learning how to manage a classroom and planning lessons and, and creating resources, I mean, it's sort of like everything all at once, and that must have been tough, and I guess you look back on it now, because I'm sure you probably watched it back Probably a few times. I um, honestly haven't. You haven't, I, right. I couldn't put myself through it. But that year was definitely the most challenging year of my life, for sure. Um, like, everything about it was tough. I would wake up early in the morning, I'd get into work. I would I would sometimes leave the school building at 10 o'clock. Really? And it's just, everything just took forever. In my head, I thought, I want to get all my work done before I go home, rather than taking my laptop and my planning home. Um, but you know, planning a lesson took forever. Mm. Marking books um, took forever, and I had you know five classes. Mm. Um, it was really really tough. And you know, when you're starting off in your career, in any career, 
there's certain things that you need to progress in and learn. And it really felt for me like uh, a lot of my peers and the, the others who were on the show at the time just picked it up a lot quicker than I did. Mm. And it's really hard to kind of compare, to not compare yourself to everyone else. It's like, why is everyone else finding this so much easier than me? I definitely had some challenging classes. I remember my sixth formers were great and I had a, a, some tough key stage four classes and some really great key stage three classes. And then I think if you watch the show, you, you slowly realise that there was more filming of the key stage four classes. It's definitely where the uh, the story was. Um, and it was it was definitely really challenging. But I knew that this wasn't something that I wanted to do for two years and then if it didn't work out, move on to something else. I really I did want to go into teaching. Mm. And I know that some people who go into teach first go in, they want to try it, see if it's for them. And if not, they can move on to something else. Um, so I guess I really wanted to stick it out. So for you, there was far greater investment in the whole thing. I mean, obviously that's born out now because you're still, still teaching. Yeah. But, but even through that, where it was really tough, there was still that huge investment in I want to do something because I don't know. I mean, you you may well still speak to some of the, the colleagues that you you did it with. I, I don't know. The sense of with you is though you were fully invested. I, I don't know whether there was one or two of them. Perhaps they, they their attitude was, well, I'll see how it goes. If it's not for me, then I'm gonna go and do something else. You know, and and I know Teach First does allow that platform, which is something that it does get criticised for. Um, but I guess yeah. I mean that investment. Is I guess where you're still at now. Is that what? What would you say you to sort of finish on it? What would you say that you learned from from that 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 year that you still carry with you even to this day? I think there's so many things I've learned um, from that whole process, and then also the process of like doing a documentary whilst you're doing your first year of teaching. Um, but I think for me, it was just cementing that idea that. You know, teaching can be hard work, but it really is the most rewarding career you can go into, at least for me. Um, for every challenge that there was, the reward was so much greater when the classes got to a place where they were doing really well, mm. um, and I felt really good in, in the profession, and, uh, and every year does get a little bit easier. Like, I, I genuinely, I don't know if I could sit and watch um, the episode. And my mum's got the DVD. Right? Um, every once in a while, she will pop it on. I'm like, no, mum, I can't. Um, but it's, you know, if I can overcome that and still want to go into work every day and still want to serve those kids, then I think that's what really just keeps me going. So after the Harefield Academy, yeah. um, how long did you stay at the Harefield Academy? I was there for, for two years, so your, your placement with Teach versus two years. And I would have happily stayed for longer. Um, you know, I learned so much at that school. But I think I was filming in my first year, and then in my second year, the documentary had come out. And I thought it would be a really good experience to kind of move away from, for, to a different school, to experience mm. a, a new school in London, but also to, to not be that girl from that documentary mm. uh, for a little bit of time, if possible. Mm, so it was almost a sort of, I don't want to use the words fresh start somewhere else, but it was really, it was, but it, yeah. it was almost a time to move on and, and, and try to run. Now you got on um, to be um, head of year, yes. which is arguably some, someone who's done it and still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it it's um, one of the toughest jobs there is. Um, so what's made you choose sort of the pathway in teaching that you took since you left the Harefield Academy, was it, 
I mean, all from all your experiences of, of Teach First, and I know at times Teach First can be a little bit more curriculum-led than it perhaps is pastoral-led. But obviously you've cho- chosen to go down the, the pastoral route. What was, the, what was the, the thinking behind that? Is it from the experiences you've had maybe at Harefield and post-Harefield, I guess, perhaps? Yeah, definitely. I feel like the, the main thing I wanted was I wanted to move to a, a school that was a little bit closer to home, and I ended up getting a job in Wembley. I thought, this is great, it's my hometown. Um, you know, I really wanted to serve the community that I grew up in and, yeah. and lived in for, yeah. for 30 years. Um, so I, I got a job at um, R. Kelvin, which is a school in Wembley. Yeah. And um, I was an NQT plus one. And I didn't really think about where I wanted my career to go in terms of leadership and teaching. I just thought, I just want to get better at what I do. I want to experience a new school, they'll have its new challenges, different experiences, and I just want to grow as a teacher. And I ended up um, being a head of house, which was a smaller TLR at mm. the time, um, but I really enjoyed um, that, that element of pastoral and just um, outside of the curriculum. I then ended up being um, a key stage three coordinator in English. I then ended up being a 2IC, which is like a, a deputy, deputy head of English. English yeah. Um, and my, my role started going towards a curriculum path and then uh, a vacancy came up for head of year and I kind of thought where do I want to go because um, I've, I've learned so much in curriculum um, my teaching practice definitely got a lot better um, at helping with the planning side of things and coaching other teachers which is something that I definitely wanted to experience after you know you know definitely having a, a difficult time in my training route wanting to be there to support others and head of year came up and I really thought, well, what is it that I really love about being a teacher? And it was those those connections with kids and being able to pastorally support them. I loved being a form tutor for four years. <laughs> so when the opportunity came up to be their head of year in year 11, I thought, yeah, I definitely want to go for it. And if, if I'm right for this, then I'll get it. And if not, then it's something to explore. And uh, yeah, I've been a head of year for three years now. Mm. So did you start with year 11? I did. I, it, I mean... I mean, hey, I started teaching on a documentary, so uh, I started ahead of year, year 11. <laughs> and you can't get any tougher, really. <laughs> but it's hard. So uh, did you go back down to year 7? I've, yeah, I then went back down to year 7, and then I'm now their head of year 8. Have you found that? I mean, as somebody who, who has done it, it is a really, really difficult experience going from head of year 11 to head of year 7. Yeah. It's like one of the toughest things you will <laughs> ever do. Anybody in teaching will know, anybody who's ever been ahead of year will know. Because you go from dealing with young adults yeah, to yeah. primary school kids. And, oh it's, and the difference, you know, you, I, I can remember when I first came down from 11 back down to 7, I mean, I was probably for at least three, four months, I was very resentful about the world because <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a different experience. And I thought, I can't ever do this again, and I did stop when I took. I actually ended up taking them through to year eleven. I did stop. I needed a break. I've actually gone back to it as as nine, year nine, um, ten, eleven. But I'll, I'll do that. But there's no way at the end of that cycle I could ever go back and back down to because I think it's it's one of those where you you. I think you really become when you when you've learned about how the dynamics of a different like year eight is a very interesting year because okay. you need. Something, you need to find something to aim kids yeah, towards. Yeah. I mean, in year nine, you've sort of got that GCSE options yeah. stuff. Ten and eleven sort of takes care of itself. But 
seven they're that first year, but eight is, is tough because you need towards the aim them towards something. Definitely. So I guess that's been an interesting experience it's, from 11, <laughs> seven, eight. <laughs> I feel like I, if I could do head of year for each year group, there's so many challenges and experiences that come from it that I'll just be um, so much more knowledgeable about pastoral having gone through that experience. I think 11 was definitely a baptism of fire. Um, but it was a year group that I've been a form tutor for four years. I knew them quite well. Mm. So I thought, at least I know the kids. I'll just need to learn the job. Yeah. Going back down to year seven definitely felt like a, a big jump. I mean, I was used to doing prepping kids for college applications, six form interviews. All of a sudden, it was like really um, what felt like primary pastoral consensus yeah, no, issues. Yeah, it is absolutely. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, lockdown happened. And it really feels like my current year group have had really one academic year of mm. normal education in inverted commas. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that really was my next question was, I, I mean, as a head of year and as somebody who's now an experienced teacher, how have you found the last, well, it feels like forever, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's probably what, about 14 months. Yeah. How, how have you found those, those 14 months in, your practice because it, it, it is it has been challenging isn't it i mean behavior has been challenging the gaps as you say in, yeah. in learning is challenging you mentioned your year group who um who who have had so much time out of school as you say and and that will have a detrimental impact i mean i think about the current year seven as well yeah. i mean they spent you know they didn't even get a chance yeah. to say goodbye really to their primary schools they're, they're, most for most it was their education return last September having been off since March um, they then had another two months off from January to the middle of March I mean it's been anybody in the job it, it's been a hugely challenging 14 months isn't it it's definitely been challenging it's been challenging for us it's been challenging for the kids it's been challenging for their families parents and guardians um, it's crazy to think that this time last year we were in lockdown one mm, we were, and yeah. it was very much a case where we would take each week quite as it comes and we would see what we needed to do um, and really think about what data we were pulling through. Like I recently did an MPQML and I was looking at the data between lockdown one and lockdown two and the challenges that our kids have gone through and you know we would call our kids once a week at least to mm. check in with them, see how they're doing, what's their mental health like, how are they managing. Um, and we definitely noticed there were big gaps between the kids who did have access to internet and devices at home mm. and the kids who didn't. And, you know, we would open up our school as community classrooms for key workers and then eventually we were able to open up our school to anyone who was really struggling to learn at home to get them in, to get mm. some time with teachers to mm. really support them. Mm. It's not been easy, and you know, we, we, everyone's hoping that we don't have to experience something like that again. Yeah. Next winter's going to be very interesting, isn't it? It will. Be. I mean, all we can hope is with the vaccinations that. Yeah. But the big issue, of course, at the moment is that secondary school age pupils are still not been offered the vaccine. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, it's not something that's going to be forced, but I, I do hope within the next few months. That they will at least be offered it and obviously it will be yeah. parents decision as to whether or not Definitely. they take up the vaccine but I, I do think it's when i look ahead to the next academic year because obviously you're, when you reach this point of the year first of june you do start to think about the next academic year um and i do think 
if it's not to be a stop starter again, probably young people probably need to be vaccinated or as much as possible. Um, but it's a difficult decision for parents, isn't it, if it is offered because you know, in the same way it's a difficult decision for an adult, yeah. it's a difficult decision for a parent for their for their child as well, isn't it? It is. And there are definitely going to be um, communities within London where there'll be more uptake for it um, compared to others. And like in Wembley, um, I know that my brother, who's a year older than me, was offered the vaccination um, months before I was um, in North London mm. um, just because there weren't as many people taking it up um, and you know we're, we're quite um, a heavy BAME community um, with black and Asian ethnic minorities mm. um, so it is definitely something to consider I know for me um, as a teacher I've only just had my first vaccination last week mm. and I know that there's definitely teachers at my school who are younger than I am who haven't had the, um, vaccine. haven't had the vaccination and I know that can be quite a trying time for teachers as well we work with a thousand kids every week you know mm. we're testing ourselves at home um, but I've had Covid though I've had colleagues who've had Covid it's um it's definitely it's not easy even with the best interest to you know wear masks and keep socially distanced. It's it's a challenge, isn't it? It's tough. Mm, no, absolutely, you're right. Be interesting to see what comes of that over the next few months ahead of September. That vaccines will be offered to under 18s and the uptake on that. Um, and as you say, there's still a lot of people who need a second vaccine. That's what makes me think that June the 21st is quite optimistic. Um, Got a feeling it could be a little while longer than that, but we'll see. Um, just thinking about then where you're at in your terms of your career, you're obviously, as you mentioned, you're ahead of year. Um, what advice would you give to anybody listening to this program who at the moment may well be on Teach First for September, yeah. they may well be on a PGCE for September, they may well still be debating whether or not they want to go into teaching. There'll also be some NQTs out there who are got their first teaching job for September, they've been appointed to schools for September. Um, what advice, as someone who's, who's had their early part of their teaching career <laughs> on television, what advice would you say to anybody now, based on your experiences a few years down the line and all the things that you've learned, what advice would you give to those people that are, one, perhaps considering a career in teaching, or two, about to embark on a career in teaching? I would say if you plan to watch Tough Young Teachers, don't let it put you off because it does get better. <laughs> um, I would say to anyone who's thinking about a career in teaching, um, any experience that you can get to get into a school, do. And I know it's really difficult at the moment with COVID and yeah. restrictions and things like that. Yeah. But um, I think I wanted to get as much experience as I could and I did a lot of teaching abroad and I think if I went into a school and worked as a TA for a year mm. I would have learned so much mm. um, just about um, how schools operate and like observing great teaching um, and it would have really been helpful so I think any experience you can get to get into a school to work with young people is great experience do whatever you can talk to teachers um, you know, talk to students, talk to young people, go into a library, see what young kids are reading if you're interested in teaching English. Um, there's really just great options there. And then research the different routes in. I definitely uh, was aware of Teach First, there's the PGCE. Um, if you're going to university, think about a bachelor in education. Mm. Like, there's different routes. 
there's things like now teach if you're thinking about a career change there's so many options there definitely research them talk to people who've done them and find the route that's right for you we're, we're really lucky in the uk that there's lots of ways to get into teaching mm. um and there's different routes for different people um, so definitely do that and to anyone who's already in the profession i know that these mm. last uh two years these two academic years have not been easy um but i've definitely found that each year i'm in my ninth year of teaching now and um, my seventh year at my current school each year of teaching has strangely even with covid got a little bit better a little bit easier i felt a lot more confident mm. um and you want to get to a point where you just really you know you do enjoy coming to work every day and i genuinely do i love mm. what i do so i hope that i'll be teaching for many years to come and the lessons and the resources as you say they do become easier after a while when you first start it is quite tough but a couple of years in you've, oh, got, yeah. you've got your lessons haven't you and you've got you you, you kind of just know how to teach that lesson. It yeah. is it is a job that's very around experience, isn't it? And those once you've got that experience, it does become so much easier, doesn't it? Definitely. I mean, I assure you, I do not need work at ten o'clock anymore. <laughs> um, lesson planning does is a lot quicker. Um, and then you know, you teach. I could teach Macbeth every year, and. I'll feel confident in teaching it, but I will still feel like each year a class will bring a new idea that I haven't thought of. So um, while things do get easier, it's still every day is different and I just love that about teaching. <laughs> and just to finish off, um, I've got to go back to a course of documentary just to finish off. Um, you, I mentioned it earlier, you're still in touch with a few of the people that were on the on the on the on the well on the program with yeah. you on the, on the course with you on the program with you um i saw one of them i, th I think it was claudinia yeah. she's now an assistant she's head an assistant, she's an assistant yeah. head teacher yeah. in, a, in a school in london somewhere um do you still get people come up to you in maybe even in your current school <laughs> and say i've seen you on that maybe new teachers who come in probably even some of your students who say i've seen you on that on that program I think um, there was definitely a period of time where people say, were you, were you that girl from Tucker <laughs> Teachers? And I'd say, no, that wasn't me. <laughs> um, Brilliant. So, yeah, so I think, um, you know, the documentary came out, I think, in 2013, because we were filming it, sort of 2012, 2013, it's 20, 2014, I think it came out. Mm. Um, so enough time has passed that hopefully people don't recognise me on the street. Um, but every once in a while, um, someone will say to someone, you know Meryl's on this documentary, and then someone will watch it and be like, I can't believe that was you. Mm. And I think, um, particularly with the people I work with now, that was, what, seven odd years ago? Um, so it very much feels like, I can't believe that was you, because look at where you are now, and that's always a nice feeling. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's always nice, every once in a while someone will come up to you and be like, I saw that show, and now I've gone into teaching. And I thought, really? It didn't put you <laughs> on. <laughs> um, but it's always lovely. But it's been a fantastic journey. It definitely has. I wouldn't change it. Absolutely brilliant. Well, listen, it's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you. Meryl, so thank you so much for coming on the programme. It's been lovely chatting to you, and good luck um, with... The, the, the challenge that continues, as you say, um, particularly being ahead of year as well. So all the best with that um, in the next few months and beyond. I'm sure we'll see you as a 
assistant head teacher, maybe, in, <laughs> maybe who knows, in a short period or longer period of time, I guess, when you feel the right opportunity to come along. But thank you very much indeed for coming on the programme. Um, that is it for the Liam Davis Show this Tuesday evening. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Meryl and to Martin Tyler for joining me. I am back. Uh, bonus programmes at the end of this week, um, as it's half term. I've got a couple of the Shoreditch radio podcasts at the end of the, this coming week. Um, lots of different guests coming on, so stay tuned for those at the end of the week. Uh, this programme is back next week, Tuesday, um, 8 o'clock. Um, I think I'm joined, no, I know I'm joined. Uh, next week, amongst the guests, is Parai Ahmed, who is the council leader for Haringey, for Haringey Council. So she'll be amongst uh, various guests on this programme uh, next Tuesday night. But for the meantime, I wish you all a lovely evening and a lovely week, and we will speak again next Tuesday. Bye-bye.